streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. November 29th, the year of our Lord, 2022, the only creed. Apparently that any program out there needs is the creed of Al Davis. Just win, baby. We are jam-packed, high atop a stormy downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I warn you guys all the time, I'm part college football, part storm chaser. Don't sleep on second season. Everyone knows the spring is active. It's very active. Multiple tornado warnings across the southeast tonight. So, hunker down. Hopefully you still have internet and stay safe and you can watch the show. Hugh Freeze is back in the SEC. Can you believe that? Did you think I'd be saying that two months ago? We got conference championship predictions to go through tonight. I have got a few thoughts about the recently released college football playoff rankings. I'm not going to spend an inordinate amount of time on it because pretty much everyone else will. But I do have a couple of thoughts. I got one beef. It's not so much with the order, but the criteria. And I got a scenario that I don't think you're going to hear in many other places. Dabo Swinney's talking again. He's saying some things. In fact, he's saying a lot of things, but you're only hearing some of the things that he said. And I know that you guys think, uh, well, part of you think that I'm a Dabo hater. The others think I'm a Dabo defender. And in reality, I'm just someone with an opinion. Each time he says something, I draw an opinion on it. I got one for you tonight, though. Paper pop style. They're watching us in Danville, Kentucky, Pueblo, Colorado, Eastman, Georgia, and Del Rio, Texas. A lot of you heated, took heated up. Headed, took head of my advice the other day, and you followed me on the socials at Late Kick Josh. And it's imperative because of what happened right after we had our Sunday show. We had a big hiring. We've got multiple coaches being hired. Brent Key looks like he's going to get a shot at Georgia Tech. I mean, that's a heck of an opportunity for a guy from Georgia Tech. So, anyway, there's a lot of stuff going on. Obviously, the Hugh Freeze stuff we're going to talk about in a second. We're not always live for it to happen. So there's a lot of feedback, there's a lot of conversation being had on Twitter and Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. Make sure you're following there. And then it only ramps up the more that we go on the road and the more we enter into Christmas season, then playoff season and bowl season, so transfer portal season. I'm going to talk about that tonight. There's a lot going on. Are they jackhammering in the building? I mean, we got three rules around here. Don't lose to food. I can't remember the other one. Don't jackhammer in the building during the show. It's disrespectful. At management, get on it. Okay, uh, let's talk about the college football playoff reactions for just a second. I promise you we're not going long on this. So the college football playoff rankings were released, what is this, Tuesday night? And it's every Tuesday night. Tennessee's at seven. I know everyone wants to talk about where TCU and Bama and Ohio State are, and I'll get to that in a second. Tennessee's at seven. And I've been back and forth on a number of message boards, including our 24-7 Tennessee board, and we've been talking cordially but forcefully back and forth about where Tennessee should be. Now, this is going to sound kind of hypocritical to you because I thought Tennessee should be behind Alabama. I don't have a strong opinion on it. I didn't argue really a bunch because I don't think that there is a solid blank and it's not even close kind of argument to be had here. But I've, I've got no problem with Tennessee being at seven if, and this is the important second point here, if you tell me Tennessee is at seven because they got blown out against South Carolina and you think that blowouts should carry a lot of weight, even above and beyond a close head-to-head -head win over the team in front of you. 
You and I could disagree on that, but I think at least reasonable minds can understand if someone thinks that being just totally pantsed on the road at South Carolina is detrimental to your college football playoff ranking, okay. That's not the worst precedent in the world to set. I don't think it's dishonoring or looking over head-to-head result. I think it's taking something else into account with head-to-head result. That I got little problem with. This other thing I got a big problem with, and truthfully, I didn't watch the rest of the broadcast, so I don't know if Boo, NFL never has guys named Boo in authoritative positions. Only college football. Only in this sport do we have a Boo in the forefront of the decision-making process. But Boo it is. And so I started to Boo before he even came on air tonight when I started to hear what I, what I was afraid I would hear. And that is Tennessee at seven. Because why? They got blown out, but that's not where they ended. They also continued. And because Hendon Hooker's out. I am not going to yell and scream here because there are other folks in this business who already do that. But I'm a little angry on the inside when I listen to that. It's not going to matter here. It's not going to change the playoff this particular year. And once we expand it, half the sport's going to make it in anyway. Joke, joke. I know my fractions, but a lot more teams are going to make it in. So maybe it just won't impact anything moving forward. But I've got a real problem. If that is indeed in the room, I got a real problem with a committee trying to tell me how much a player is worth. Because injuries are a part of this game, no different than catching a ball or dropping a ball. Injuries are a part of this game. I have less than zero interest in a room full of folks watching the sport, watching a player get injured as part of that sport, and then telling me they're going to knock their ranking, their subjective ranking of said team, because they think they know how much that player is worth. You know how I know that committee has no clue how much Hendon Hooker is worth? Because Las Vegas doesn't know how much Hendon Hooker is worth. Oh, certainly they have a point assignation on him. Three points, four points, five points, whatever it is. They've got a point assignation on him. But did you notice what happened this past weekend? Tennessee goes on the road, and they're favored by 14 against Vanderbilt. They still hadn't stopped scoring. I think it was 56 to nothing, wasn't it, Colin? It was just a blowout. And so that was a Hendon Hookerless, Joe Milton-led Tennessee, favored by 14. That's the odds maker's number. That's the general expectation level. And they vastly exceeded, like two or threefold. So no one knew how much he was worth on that particular day. How can you tell me how much he's worth? Anyway, that really, really rubs me the wrong way. So we're going to start off on a negative note tonight. Now, as for the whole Alabama-Ohio State conundrum that was not, Ohio State was five, Alabama is six. Um, I told you the other night, and apparently I stated it unequivocally, and I shouldn't have. I don't have strong feelings on this thing. I told you by percentage points, I'd probably lean Alabama ahead of of Ohio State. That's just how I view blowout losses. That's me. That's one man's opinion. Fortunately for you guys in Buckeye land, it doesn't matter because I'm not on the committee. And I have no problem with them being at five. Uh, Because I'm certainly not looking at you and saying, Bama's getting screwed in this deal. No, no. There's been a a screw job in relation to Bama, but it's been internal there. Hasn't been external. They've done it to themselves. There is something that caught my eye. If you're watching on YouTube right now, we have the current rankings there. I don't want you to look at the top five. That's obvious. I want you to look at number 10. It's Kansas State. They play TCU Saturday. Big 12 championship game. Could very well be the most entertaining game this weekend. There is a feeling out there that I agree with that Georgia and Michigan are in regardless. So let's push that to the side. 
don't care what happens Saturday. I think both of those things are true. There's a feeling that if USC loses Saturday to, or Friday night to Utah, they're out. I also believe that's true. I think that's Ohio State's shot. There is another prevailing piece of wisdom out there that I'm not sure I'm completely down with. I'm almost down with it, but not totally. And that other prevailing piece of wisdom is TCU is also in regardless of whether they win or lose Saturday. Now, a lot of that I think is true. I, certainly they're in if they win. I think they're in if they lose. Close. I think they're in if they lose by two touchdowns. But remember back in 2014 when Ohio State played Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game? And I so vividly remember this. I was at the SEC title game that year. Don't even remember who it was. But I remember going into the stadium that day. The talking point around Ohio State was it doesn't matter. They've got no shot. Even if they win the Big Ten Championship tonight, they can't make it in. Then they proceeded to win 59 to nothing. And the talk shifted so radically four hours later from there's no way they can make it in to how can you keep them out? And they didn't. They didn't keep them out. They put them in. And what I'm saying is a lot of folks are going to say over the next 24, 48, 72, 96 hours, TCU's just in regardless. I don't doubt they are if they win or lose close. What if Kansas State just wins 48 to 10? Unlikely, very unlikely. But what if you get some, some oddball, complete exception to the rule result in the Big 12 championship game, and you were to all of a sudden have to make a decision on a TCU team that got blown out? Are they still in? That's my hypothetical question out there, because I don't really know how it would be handled. You guys know I don't keep up with the criteria all that much. How would they handle it? I could make a strong argument both ways. I'm just saying if you want to go into fantasy land and you were to have Southern Cal and TCU lose and TCU just gets blown out, how, how shook would the rest of America be if that were to happen and then the dust settles Sunday and you got Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and Alabama? And by the way, in that order, you'd have an all-SEC semifinal and you'd have an all-Big Ten semifinal. How gross is that? Some of you have already headed to the shower. You feel like you need to clean yourself after merely listening to me utter such nonsense. It's very unlikely. Very unlikely. I'm going to predict some of the games tonight. We'll do the rest of them Thursday, and you will see how unlikely I think that is. But in the words of JP, a fellow JP from Angels in the Outfield, hey, it could happen. Academy Sports and Outdoors, I have been speaking to for, well, uh, forever, but specifically this week, uh, because we've got, we've got an idea for the SEC championship game. I guess I need to update you on some things. I'm going to be in Atlanta this Thursday night. Buckhead, actually. Not just Atlanta proper, Colin. We're rolling to Buckhead this Thursday. We're going to do some things with Verbo, but also we're going to do the Thursday night late kick live from, I believe, the College Football Hall of Fame. I'm leaving that in the, in the capable hands of Big Game Dane. But it's the SEC championship. And Academy Sports and Outdoors, our, our, our good friends over there hit us up and said, hey, look, if folks gear up for the SEC championship, what do we want to do for them? Let, let's just pay their bill for them. And so here it is. And we're kind of talking it through as we're live here. I want to take 10 of you. Uh, you need a minimum order of like 50 bucks. So let's just say minimum order of 50 bucks. If you show me purchases of gear, Around the SEC championship game, let's theme it around LSU and Georgia. I'm going to get Academy to pay the bill for 10 of you. you got to provide me proof. Uh, the rest of you, 
I have got a slew of Academy Sports and Outdoors gift cards, fresh batch, fresh supply in, and it is time to really, really, not Magic City style, but just good, clean, fun Academy style, make it rain all over Atlanta with those Academy Sports and Outdoors gift cards. They are your one-stop shop for pretty much everything you need. It's pouring down rain outside. Imagine, imagine the plethora of rain gear one could have purchased in a local Nashville Academy Sports and Outdoors had they planned ahead today. We've got exciting things in store with these folks here. It looks like we've done everything we can. No, no, no. We have not scratched the surface. I mean, I've seen the future. You will soon see the future. It's going to be fun times. All right. I guess we would call this the main event. Uh, there are a lot of people here who are very interested in talking about their opinion on Hugh Freeze. I had an eyelash in my eye. There are a lot of people here interested. A lot of people have opinions. I've noticed from Washington to Miami, from Southern California to Maine and everywhere in between, if you are even a passive college football fan, everybody's got an opinion on Hugh Freeze. So let's just take us a sip from the chalice here. Filled it up a little bit too high. I got no notes on this. I'm intentionally going to ad-lib this whole thing. Colin, here's your end point. Auburn has hired Hugh Freeze. That much is official. That has changed since Sunday night, obviously. I got to the point Monday where I was just tired of it, and it looked like the wheels were in motion. It looked like Auburn was going to hire Hugh Freeze, and I started to, started to see a lot of that moral grandstanding that I've seen from a lot of people, some really close friends of mine. So I'm talking close to home, far away, everywhere in between. I just, I had enough of it, and so I fired off a tweet. Because that's what they teach you here at CBS. When you get emotional, just tweet about it. Who has ever been steered wrong using that strategy in life? Well, actually kind of the guy on the screen here. But I digress. This will not be a Hugh Freeze bash fest. Because what I said the other day is I said the truth. And the truth is this. The moment Hugh Freeze wins 10 games or more at Auburn, the line of detractors will be small enough to fit in a phone booth. That's what I said. And as you can imagine, a lot of people heard what I didn't say. A lot of people heard me say that, oh, his transgressions don't matter. There's a double standard. All that matters is winning. I guess some people don't have to face consequences for their action. I guess you don't take sexual assault seriously. Yeah, that got lobbed my way. The thing about me is I don't let you just lob it my way. I kind of swing back at it and make good contact. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm saying exactly what I said. In light of all that, the moment this guy wins 10 games at Auburn, which I believe he's got a half-decent shot at doing pretty quickly, by the way, his line of detractors will be able to fit in a phone booth. He can have all the transgressions, and it's all public. There's nothing really hidden about this guy. You know it. I know it. I think there's a group of people that learned everything they know about Hugh Freeze in the past 72 hours that are the most vocal, ironically. But everybody knows it. The guy, you don't have to guess. He stepped in front of a microphone, looked you in the eye, and admitted all of it. To his credit, by the way. There's a lot of blame and a lot of fault here. But I just, I heard enough of it. And some of the things that I heard were things like, there have to be consequences for actions. And I'm sitting here asking myself, on the surface, that sounds right. Like, all, like you freeze has got a very checkered past. I'm not running from that. I'm not carrying water for the guy. But I am asking, where's he been the past five or six years? Like, where do you think he's been? He hadn't been in Oxford, Mississippi. For a couple of years, he was nowhere. And then he started over at Liberty. What do you think that is? 
Okay, on the scale of how really, really good football coaches are handled, that's as steep a price as anyone's going to pay. He's paid his NCAA penance. And then morally, listen, the stuff with the burner phones and the hookers and the call girls and everything in between, this is so college football, is none of my business. I'm not sending my kid to play for him because I don't have one to send. And I'm not his wife and I'm not his kids. Outside of that, I don't care. That has little to nothing to do with what's going to happen on the football field. And then there's the other stuff. And uh, you can go read about this. I'm not rehashing all this. But the crux of the issue a lot of people have is allegations that were made at Liberty towards him and towards the program and some of the players in the program and his response to it. His response, which was regrettable in nature, which was not wise, but which was in and of itself pretty emotional and momentary, was to hop in the DMs. DM stands for direct message, by the way. I say it all the time. I feel the need to clarify for those of you who aren't on social media. He hops in the DMs of the girl making the allegations, and he defends the best he can uh, the players in question. And she screenshot it, and she publicized it, and that's the transgression. That's what we're talking about here. I'm aware of that just like you are. Okay, I've done my research just like you have. I think he's paid a price for it. So that's where I stand on it. Like, if, if you, you know, there, there are three camps out here. As far as I have seen, the people who have a problem with Hugh Freeze at Auburn really fall into three camps. Camp one is the camp I really don't care to hear from. And you know him just like I do. Those are the folks who didn't even know anything about this guy 72 hours ago, maybe even 48 hours ago. And they've become experts overnight, which happens with everything in life. I don't care about them. I really don't care about their opinion, not them as people. I don't care about their opinion only because I know what it's rooted in. And so you can push that to the side. Now, here's where I'm going to meet you on this. I know there's another camp where this sort of thing has hit home with you in the past, or you do know everything that you could possibly know about Hugh Freeze, and you simply don't think he's qualified morally to lead a program. I can take you seriously. Okay, we can disagree on this, and I can take you seriously, and I can respect your opinion. The folks in that group, I take the opinions of very seriously because there are some people out there who, you know, have dealt with that sexual assault issue and it's a real thing. I got friends, I got close folks in my life who have dealt with it. So I'm kind of speaking firsthand, I'm speaking secondhand there as well. I know about that world and I know what things like this seeming to be taken lightly do to people like that. I know. So that's camp two. Camp three is a camp of people who aren't really upset about this to their core. They just think they need to be upset by it, and so they just want to be heard. Uh, camp two, frankly, is the only camp that I'm concerned with. And with camp two, I have spoken to several of you because I put that out, and a lot of you pushed back on me, and a lot of you hopped in my DMs, and we had discussions. It was all respectful. I, I just told you, look, here's the way I see it. And you told me the way you see it. And we have, in some cases, difference of opinion. Um, the way I look at it is, I don't, think the, I don't think the price that some are suggesting he should have to pay correlates with the transgression. I guess that's where I differ. And so I look ahead, now that he is the head coach there, and I'm just telling you, it's a, a totally different lane. I'm not comparing the two. I look at this, I think it's going to turn out the same way that Brian Kelly did when he came to LSU. Now, Brian Kelly wasn't accused of anything like this, 
Brian Kelly was just getting laughed at and made fun of because he imitated someone's accent and people just didn't think he was going to fit. How long ago does that feel? The moment he started winning, where did all that go? This is a much more serious thing in nature, but the moment Hugh Freeze starts winning, where is it going to go? Where is it going to go? Nowhere. It's going gonna, it's gonna to disappear like vapor. Uh, there will be a very, very small contingent of people who continue to beat that drum. It won't matter. It, whether you like that or not, I'm just telling you, it won't matter. And if he loses, it will absolutely be used as a convenient weapon against him. That's the truth. That's the way this is going to pan out. So what I'll leave you with, and what really kind of rubs me the wrong way on a lot of this, is the people telling me some things are just unforgivable. And I know we won't, we're not necessarily talking about forgiveness in the spiritual sense. Maybe you are. But a lot more of you are just talking about forgiveness in the sense of what kind of opportunity should you get? A lot of you, for instance, told me, I do believe in forgiveness of a spiritual nature, but there are some earthly consequences that don't go away just because you ask for forgiveness, which I agree with. I just don't think it fits here. I, I don't think that there's anything that Hugh Freeze has done that should bar him from being able to have this job. That's the long and short of it with me. And the other thing I just want you to notice is I want you to notice how little noise you've heard from the coaching community on this. Now, there is an obvious reason for that. And that obvious reason is coaches are in a pretty tight-knit fraternity and they rarely throw each other, each other under the bus. I know that. I'm not ignorant to that. Let me suggest to you there's one more reason why you haven't really heard much of a peep from anyone else speaking out against Hugh Freeze getting this job. They know the truth. They know the man in the mirror. They know their peers. And there are several of us who have some knowledge of that too. The only difference, this is going to, you know, this is going to sit with you how it sits with you, but the only difference between some of your coaches and the one Auburn just hired is you know about the stuff in his past. And that's the only difference. I think you would be very uncomfortable if we started turning over stones in other programs. And this isn't relegated to football. You could go in your local bank and the employees there are the same way. This is not a sport full of angels. This is not a world full of angels. It's a world full of very, very flawed and imperfect people. And as a result, I'm not going to be the one to traffic in, in the moral grandstanding. A lot of you have chosen to. That's fine. That's your prerogative. I'm not going to do it. I think Hugh Freeze is a good coach. I think he's paid the price that he needs to pay. I'll say this, and this is going to have to stand the test of time. I don't think you'll hear much of a peep of controversy from him during his days at Auburn. But if you do, it's a zero tolerance policy. And I have no problem with that. And truthfully, I don't think he'd have any problem with that. Because if he's authentic in what he says, and if he's authentic in stating his ability and willingness to walk the straight and narrow, it won't be a problem. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the downfalls in his past are, are not hard to avoid. It's not driving four miles an hour over the speed limit. And these are pretty glaring issues publicly. So we'll see. I think he's going to win. I think the portal in NIL will help him respectively very quickly at Auburn. I welcome your comments respectfully in the comment section. We got a lot of games this weekend. Some of them, well, one of them starts on Friday. Uh, we, got, we got some of them starting even earlier than that. 
but I want to go through a few of them here. We're going to kind of split it. I didn't want to do every conference championship game tonight, so we're going to do a few of them tonight, and we're going to do a couple more of them Thursday when we're down in Atlanta. I got some thoughts on Dabo Swinney, too, so stay tuned. we got a loaded show here tonight. Georgia, LSU, SEC championship game. The first game that I ever went to, first SEC championship game I ever attended, was LSU-Georgia. Nick Saban was the head coach at LSU. It was Mark Richt at Georgia. It was 3 and I believe the final was 34-13, which is right in line with how a lot of people are predicting this game to go. Brian Kelly's the first head coach since Jim McElwain to be in the SEC championship game in his first season as head coach in this conference. Do you know what this confirms? Georgia opened as like a 17, they're a 17 and a half point favorite right now. They have been double digit favorites in every game this year. That is not easy to do, even with the schedule they play. It's not easy to do. What does Saturday mean for the SEC championship game? Well, I don't really know. A lot of you were asking like, what does it mean? Is it gonna be boring? Does this, does this kind of water down the quality of the game? Look, I don't know if you've noticed, there is no pristine conference championship game. I would argue the closest thing to that's the Big 12 championship game. Uh, it, it's competition, man. Point spreads don't matter once you kick a game off. It's competition. I, I would welcome some of you to walk out of the Xbox world, walk into the real world. Hey, this team in purple and gold was favored by double digits last week, and they got run out of someone else's building. Who knows? I will ask you this rhetorically as we get into the prediction. Do you think the A&M game matters? A lot of you have been very turned off by that game, obviously. A&M kind of kind of took the took the wood to LSU last Saturday. Do you think it matters this week? Cook on that. Let's dive into the game. Can the upset happen? It's always our rule here. We will not break a game down if we don't think the upset can happen. Yeah, there's a non-zero percent chance that the upset could happen. So how does it happen? Well, number one, the LSU defense, I think, is the most important factor in this game because they got to keep LSU in it. And it's possible. It is possible. This is a very, very efficient Georgia offense, but you can slow it down. Okay. It's not, it's not Caleb Williams out there at his peak. It's not just scissoring you up and down the field and you have no recourse. It can happen. How would it happen? Well, number one, you have to take advantage of one of the relative weaknesses in Georgia's arsenal this year, and that is they've been turnover prone. I think they're in like the 70s or 80s nationally in turnover margin. And I also think that lends to the style of play that Georgia likes to incorporate. Think about the Tennessee game. Once they got up in the Tennessee game, Kirby Smart rightly realized the only way they could beat us is if we help them do it at this point. There could be a time in this game where Kirby realizes they're not moving the ball on us at all. The only way that we could really lose this thing is if we throw the ball and we give them an opportunity to force turnovers. Well, the best way to counter that is to make sure that you're very aggressive and you know the Harold Perkins of the world are a factor. You're forcing the pocket, you're forcing early throws, and you're putting yourself in position to force some turnovers before it's 24 to three. Because at that point, it's gonna be a very, very quick game. You're out of there in about three, three hours and 15 minutes. The second thing is Jaden Daniels has to be athletically healthy. I think he's going to start. Uh, for those unfamiliar, there, there are health concerns with him, the quarterback at LSU. He's got to be athletically healthy. I don't care if he's on the field if I don't get his legs. Uh, he is a very ineffective weapon if I don't have his legs to work with. And he is, he is at that point, a detriment to LSU's success opportunities. He's not, he's not part of that equation anymore. So he's got to have 
number one, the ability to use every facet of his game. And number two, he's got to have a timing and precision day. He's got to have one of those days where you watch it, you know him, you've watched every game if you're an LSU fan. It's just got to be one of those afternoons where he's making some throws he hasn't made all year, capable of them, but hadn't really made them. He's anticipating windows opening instead of waiting for the windows to open, which is one of the big gripes, thankful gripes. People are thankful for him, but one of the gripes, if you pick apart his game, is he's not able to anticipate. He's just half a second behind on some of these throws. Half a second's a long time on a football field when pass routes are developing downfield. Here's the other, I guess, ray of sunshine, ray of hope for LSU. Georgia does not generate a ton of sacks. They don't generate a ton of pressure. Now, ton, ton of tackles for loss. I would counter that. And I would say, when they needed to against Tennessee, they did. And I'm not so sure if they needed it Saturday, if they couldn't take those two stats I just read you and sort of render them moot. I think Georgia could probably record a few more sacks on a, in a given season if they need to. I think they could record a few more tackles for loss. They don't need to because they know they got the best red zone defense in the country. And so they know we don't really think you're going to move it much between the 20s. But even if you do, once you get down here, hope for three. Three is as good as you're going to do. And that kind of brings me to my next point. And this sounds easy to say. It's much harder to execute. When LSU gets around midfield, when they get across midfield and plus territory, that's where you've got to score. I'm not saying you can't do it in the red zone, but popping explosive plays, which is extremely hard against Georgia, but you're a 17 and a half point dog for a reason. Popping explosive plays, taking shots around midfield, that's your shot. You don't have to wait to get in the red zone before you try and crack the end zone. You can try and pop some explosive plays, and look, that would be great. There are a lot of concerns for LSU, but one of them to me is just worried about how much gas they have in the tank. It's hard to make it this deep in the season. And they've obviously been banged up at quarterback. They're banged up. Special teams is always a concern. You've watched LSU this year. They are what they are. You hope in the randomized nature of special teams, it doesn't bite you in a game like this. But it could. It's there. It's a reality. And the passing game. It's, it's something I can't get away from. You've got to have it. You can't be one-dimensional against Georgia. You just can't. So let's take a look at what the model thinks. Let's take a look at what Vegas says. The current line, Georgia minus 17 and a half. We've only got Georgia minus 13 and a half with the model, but I do need to make sure that I emphasize that's with a totally healthy Jaden Daniels. So we have not knocked LSU at all. Uh, we have not shaved any points off or given any points in favor to Georgia. So the way I see this playing out is the type of game where Either LSU has a little firecracker start, but Georgia ends up taking control, or Georgia just takes control early, but in typical Georgia fashion, we've seen it many times this year, they just don't stretch the game in the second half. They have no incentive to. They don't need style points. They're just looking to shorten it as quickly as possible, get it over with as quickly as possible. Now, if the spread were 7.5, I wouldn't care. But it's 17.5, so I do. And so I'm going to take Georgia to win. I do think it's a few too many points. I'll take LSU to cover. It would be the weirdest thing in the world. How, 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 and I don't know if anticlimactic's the right word. How weird, I guess that's the right word, would it feel if you watched purple and gold confetti raining in Atlanta? Because LSU's not going to the playoff. Georgia's still going to the playoff. They just feel weird. It's the second year in a row, by the way. Georgia would have missed out on winning the conference and they're still going to the playoff. I don't know. I don't think it'll happen, but we'll see.
Uh, let's break up the conference championship prediction monotony for just a second. I've got something else to talk about. Hey, what do you think about Dabo Swinney? This is another guy where everyone's got an opinion on him. Take another sip out of the chalice. Ceremonial orange for Dabo here. I know there's a lot going on in college football right now. So I think some of you know what I'm about to talk about, but maybe some of you don't. Appreciate you guys being tuned in live, by the way. If you are, do me a favor. Click the thumbs up button and subscribe to the channel in that order. <sighs> Dabo said some things again this week at his coach's show. You know, they're playing Saturday. I don't know if you're aware, but they are in the ACC championship game. And so Dabo taking some calls at his coach's show. And uh, there was a guy, and I only read the transcript. Truthfully, I did not listen to the exchange. I don't think I need to. We've got the full context coming up in a second. But I told you the other day, before I knew this coach's show exchange was going to happen, I told you, I think a couple of things are true here. The first is, I think Dabo knows he's got to make some changes. The second thing is, he's not about to share that with you and give you the satisfaction of knowing that he sees weaknesses in his program. Because if he gives you that satisfaction, it really just burns a hole in him. And I told you, I don't care. I don't mind that because I would feel the same way. Having said that, someone calls into Dabo's show, and I'm going to run through it for you real quick before I give you the quote, but they're kind of, you know, jawing back and forth with him in a jovial way. And they're saying, I remember back in the day where you were early in your tenure here, and, you know, we got to a game, and we lost the game, or maybe they won the game. But anyway, it was a, it was a turning point. It was time to make decisions. And Dabo's kind of saying, yep, sure was, yep, sure was. So the fan says, well, a lot of the fan base is at a point where we think it's time for you to make more critical decisions. Now, we pause there, and I think that there's a large chunk of our audience that saw what I'm about to show you today. Quote edits are a great thing, and quote edits are a terrible thing. If you have ever perused social media, you know what I'm talking about. Quote edits are a picture, and then there's a quote on it. Could be true, could be fake, doesn't matter. If it's written and it's on the internet, people believe it. Well, there is a third thing that happens. Sometimes part of a quote is put on a quote edit that's kind of meant to be taken out of context because it's meant to stir you up. You know, in a former world, we would have called that clickbait. I don't know what clicks are worth on Twitter, but in a former world, that's what we would call that. It is misleading at best. So I had Colin, I had Director Colin, I had the PAs, I had them produce two versions of a quote. One is the version that you probably saw floating around the ether today. The other is the entire quote. Here's probably what you saw. This is Dabo Swinney. What would you do if you only saw this quote? Quote, all I can tell you is I'm going to do my job. And if it comes time where people don't like how I do my job, then they can hire somebody else. That was floating around everywhere today. What do you think? You don't know the context. You have no clue what the setting was. You just know he said, if people don't like how I do my job, they can hire somebody else. Well, if you don't like Dabo Swinney, it's just more ammunition in a, in a very, very heavy belt around your waist that you can use against him. You don't like him. You think he's arrogant. You think he's pompous. He whines too much. How much money is he making now? He deserves that criticism. Okay. Well, I, you know, decided to take the contrarian stance of finding the whole quote, you know? It's something they used to teach us in school. And I found it. It was out there, believe it or not. 
So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read you the whole quote. It's going to start with what you just heard because that's the beginning of the quote, but it doesn't end there. And I want you to listen to the whole thing. Quote, all I can do is tell you, if I'm going to do my job, if it comes a time where people don't like how I do my job, they can hire somebody else and now we continue. If I did that, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you tonight. The reality is we're a 10 and 2 football team playing for our league title and one of the most consistent teams in the country. Every year is different. Nobody's got their head in the sand. We got to get better in a lot of areas. We know that. But if we want to fire the head coach and fire the staff every year if we don't make the playoff, then you're going to have a new head coach here very often. And you're going to have a new staff here every year because that ain't going to happen a lot. There's only four teams. And if that's the mindset of Clemson, there will be a new head coach here and there will be a new staff every year and will be a very mediocre, inconsistent program. That's how I look at it. If I read that and I heard him say it, I would probably not even realize there was going to be controversy around it. But if you take it out of context, it's pretty easy. Uh, Dabo's a very fiery guy. He's very emotional. He is always brutally honest with you, which I've told you I much prefer to the alternative, which is someone who never gives you anything and has the personality of a rock. And so I've never had an issue. Even when the guy says something I disagree with, I appreciate his candor and his honesty. He is secure enough professionally where he can afford to do that now. What he said is true. Okay? What he said is something I've heard Nick Saban have to do a lot. And that is once you enjoy a certain amount of success, people recalibrate their expectations. And the expectations become totally unrealistic. The expectations become winning 10 games means there's a problem. And all guys like him try and do is remind you. And trust me, they could be a lot more arrogant than they are about it. He could just say, do you realize what you were before you had me? I'll say it. You know what? I will be the proxy for Dabo Swinney. Do you guys realize what you were before you had him? Do you realize you've enjoyed more success just during his tenure than stacking the entire modern era history of your program on top of itself before him? That's true. That's just true. And so you're thankful for it. And I don't argue that any Clemson fan's ungrateful for it. I do think there may be mm, a portion, I don't know how big it is, but a portion of the fan base up there, no different than the Bama folks, no different than Georgia folks will be eventually, mark my words, no different than Ohio State fans have been and would be again under Ryan Day if he enjoys a, a string of successful years like Dabo has, like Saban has. You just lose grip with reality. You just lose perspective and you sometimes start to let casuals and outsiders and some casual insiders convince you that there are major problems. There are major problems at Clemson only if your standard is winning a title every year. And their standard's extremely high. And I've been mildly critical of some of their approaches. You know, I thought, for example, I was surprised, let me put it that way, I was surprised that he didn't go outside for coordinator hires. His preference was to go inside. I don't think they have an experienced enough coaching staff right now. You know, without singling out any one issue, any one problem, because I'm not qualified to do that. I just think when you compare their staff to other staffs, and you could have your pick of pretty much anyone out there, and you've got a pretty, pretty hefty salary pool with which to go attract quality candidates, he chose to value internal and promoting from within. He chose to do that. 
I disagreed with him. It is, it is what it is. Um, but when he starts getting a little defensive there, that's just him. When he starts saying, yeah, if you don't like it, fire me. Get somebody else. It wasn't the whole quote, but even if that was the whole quote, that's him. Now, here's what I think, to reiterate, is the reality there. The reality there is he, they quality control everything, guys. All these major programs do. So they know 50 times more about the inner workings of their program than any of us ever will. And Dabo Swinney is not stupid. So Dabo Swinney has long since gotten with not only his coaching staff, but also his off-field personnel and his quality control folks, recruiting, nutrition, strength and conditioning, everything in between. And especially after the season's over, they will self-scout, they'll self-evaluate, they'll do a healthy self-inventory, and there'll be a laundry list of things they want to change. But what he's not going to do, because it's not in him to do it, is stand there and let you bang on him. He's just, he's too prideful a guy. Could it be a flaw sometimes? Yeah, I guess it could. The reason I don't criticize it is because I would be just like him. I am not about to give you the satisfaction because deep down, and I'm just being real with you again, I don't respect your football acumen. If you sit in front of me with a keyboard at a press conference, I don't think you know about the game what I know about the game. I never walked into your place of business and criticized your sentence structure, so I don't really respect you and your criticisms of me. You're free to do it, I just don't respect it. And so what I'm not gonna do is allow myself to stand there and take it from you. And I'm not gonna say, well, you're right. Well, you're right. Well, you're right. It's just not the way it's gonna work. It, it wouldn't work that way with me at Pate State. It doesn't work that way with him at Clemson. But that doesn't mean you may not be right. That doesn't mean he may not see it the same way you do. That doesn't mean some of the changes that you and I and many other people think he needs to make, he doesn't agree with and may not be well on his way to trying to make. He's just not going to give you the satisfaction of publicly admitting it. And if you got a problem with that, I guess you got a problem with the head coach at Clemson. I don't have a problem with it, so I don't have a problem with the head coach at Clemson. Moving on, predictions continue here tonight. The Big Ten Championship game. You're going to watch? I am Saturday night, 8 o'clock on Fox, Michigan, Purdue. Some people, some on the streets are saying that the Big Ten division structure has robbed us of what could be a great game. I know what they mean. They mean we could be seeing Michigan-Ohio State again. But then the more I thought about it, the more I wondered, is it really robbing us? Because last week's game could not mean what it meant if you knew that a rematch was inevitably on the table. How, how strange would that have felt? How strange would a Big Ten championship game between the two feel? I've never been crazy about that dynamic in the NFL. It's unavoidable. Sometimes it happens, but I've never been crazy about it. So I don't know actually how I feel about that. I know that Michigan's a healthy favorite here for a reason. Now, I'm going to paper pop this because it's not a comforting stat for Michigan folks. Hopefully for you guys, it's not going to matter. I'm just saying before everyone writes this game off and goes to bed, what are you doing going to bed before eight? But if you do go to bed before eight, I want you to remember this before you close your eyes. The last three times that Purdue has played a top five team, 2021, they won 40 to 29 outright, Michigan State. 2021, they won 24 to 7 outright against Iowa. 2018, 49 to 20, they won outright against number two, Ohio State. You can either tell me it means everything or it means nothing. Someone's right. 
This is a topsoil special, and I can't even take credit for this. We get a great research packet from Ryan McGrady and the gang, but I cannot take credit for the following stat. And it's, it's very much in your face, but this is what we call a topsoil special. The topsoil special means that it looks one way on the surface, but if you just push away that top layer, the truth lies somewhere underneath. And our buddies over at College Football Nerds, I always love listening to their previews because I, I love their thumbnails on YouTube, truthfully. Um, they were talking about this game. And they said, don't get fooled about total yardage. Total yardage is a, is a grossly misleading metric wholesale. But especially when it comes to Purdue, you could look at their passing yardage and you could fool yourself into believing, oh, this team's capable of just bombing away on Michigan. Well, it's because they throw it every down. And so when you dive into it a little bit more, I didn't even know it was this glaring, but they did the research so I didn't have to. Passing yards per attempt, Purdue is 92nd in the country. So it doesn't matter if you have 300 yards passing. If it took you like 70 passes to do it, doesn't really mean a whole heck of a lot. Yards per play, they're 80th in the country. Those are not overly special numbers. Oh, and by the way, it rings true when you look at their schedule. They've lost four games already. They're just in here because that's the way the structure of the divisions works out. They're 77th in points per drive. Michigan's 8th. So, you know, there's this thing that you could convince yourself of, and that's really only if you haven't watched the teams play. You could convince yourself, Michigan, defensive special team, and that's the way they get by, and Purdue is just, just pinball. That's not it. Michigan is 8th in points per drive. Purdue's 77th. Michigan is the better offensive team here and the better defensive team. And the better coach team. They're just a better team. That's why they're favored by what they're favored by. Uh, I, I know this doesn't sound like I'm painting a very rosy picture for Purdue. They could compete here. They could contend here. But if they do, it's just going to be because of the game on the field. I, I want to spoil one thing for you right now. Letdown will have nothing to do with this. You can go ahead and get that out of your vernacular about this game. I'm not telling you Michigan couldn't struggle. I'm not telling you some random upset couldn't happen. It won't be because of a letdown. By this time, by this point in the year, teams like this have downhill momentum. There will be no letdown. They are too professional a program to allow themselves to let down. Last year, they played Ohio State in the snow. They won for the first time in a bajillion years. They undressed. They splattered Iowa the next week. It was not even close. There was never a question of whether they had shown up or not. Do you think they went through what they went through last week and really all year to lay down? to no-show the Big Ten Championship game, you're crazy. So what can Purdue take away? That question I asked myself at about 3.30 today, and it's 7.45 now, and I still don't have an answer because I think Michigan's too balanced offensively. I think coming into last week, maybe some people would have made an argument if you can limit the run or maybe they're banged up in the ground game, then you can trust yourself to not get burned by J.J. McCarthy and company. I just... I think they possessed the ability to do what they did last week all year. Now, those were explosive plays, which count. So maybe you convince yourself, if we just limit the explosive plays, we'll be okay. Purdue's pass defense, I don't think is good enough to even limit them just working their way pretty methodically down the field. It's a big spread for a conference title game. I know that. But here's what else I know. Michigan is number one in FBS in point-per-game differential. They are plus 27.2 per game. So that spread being 16.5 or 17 doesn't seem so fat anymore. Let's take a look at what the model thinks. Vegas, as I said, Michigan, 
minus 16 and a half. The model is close to that. It's just a tick north of that. We've got Michigan minus 17 and a half. I think it's going to be a wider margin than that, actually. I don't think this is going to be competitive. Now, the total is only 51 and a half. So, you know, what we could look at here is 34 to 10, something like that. And you could hit your under and still cover. I know a lot of you don't like taking those big favorites and unders. And I'm certainly not even going to whisper the P word. I'll whisper it, actually. Parlay. Don't do it. Don't let me catch you doing it. You're, you're not a friend of the program. If you're out there wasting mom and dad's money on parlays, I'm going to take Michigan to win. I'm going to take Michigan to cover. I, I think that someone out there is going to make a pretty spirited argument for them to be the one seed, and it's not going to work if Georgia wins, but I think someone's going to make that argument. I'm going to say something here, and I want you to listen closely because some of you tend to run away when I say what I'm about to say. So don't run away. Pac-12 championship prediction time. Are you still here? You should still be here. This has been one of, this it, possibly the best conference to watch in the country all year. I've had more fun watching Pac-12 and Big 12 football this year than any other conference. So make of my homerism what you will there. A lot of you thought you had me labeled early in the year. Not so fast. Friday night. Don't go anywhere. Friday night special here, 8 o'clock Eastern time on Fox. It is USC, Utah college football playoff trip on the line for the Trojans. Stop for a second. Can you believe we're saying that? Can you believe, I don't care if you had best case scenario in mind, can you believe Lincoln Riley is on the precipice of taking this team to the playoff? I still don't think that people have wrapped their minds around the idea of just seeing USC in the college football playoff, which is fine because they've still got one big game left to play. I have allowed myself to think ahead. So this is a familiar spot for Utah. I also haven't forgotten what happened last year. They go to Oregon, and they, well, Oregon comes to their house, and they destroy them. Then they face off like five minutes later in the Pac-12 title game. For some reason, some of us thought the result was going to be different, and it wasn't. They were almost identical scores. Utah smashes them over the head again. Well, these two teams have already played this year, too. The difference is Utah won it by one point. It was 43-42. to 42. I didn't think it was the best officiated game in America that weekend or this season, but we're going to move on from officiating. I'm not going to rehash that. Utah, the last two times they've played Southern Cal, they've scored 40 or more. Now, so has Southern Cal, uh, but I look at this one, and it's okay if you just want to talk quarterbacks, because in games like this, that's really what it comes down to. We could talk about O-line play. We could talk about the tight ends blocking downfield. I really think it's about quarterback here. Cam Rising, this is that game, if you remember it happening but don't remember who it was against, this is that game where he went off, he threw for 415, had five total touchdowns. This stat line from Dalton Kincaid, the tight end here at Utah, still defies explanation. This sounds like a good season for a tight end. 16 catches, 234 yards. That was in one four-quarter game against Southern Cal. And by the way, he's on the field Saturday. He's expected to play. He went out against Colorado. He's expected to play. All three of these Utah losses have come away from home. They lost at Florida. They lost at UCLA, which Bradley had to remind me who the second one was. And they lost at Oregon. I got a question for you. It can't be answered until Saturday night, although we could try our best to guess. Will this be the most physical matchup USC has had all year? The Oregon State game, 
was tough for them. Certainly the Notre Dame game looked like it was going to be. And I'm not saying it wasn't, but they took it to Notre Dame physically every bit as much, if not more, than Notre Dame took it to them. Utah has it in them to sort of turn games into street fights. They didn't have the ability to do it the first time. They beat them. That wasn't a street fight. That was more pinball in nature. Is this game played in the upper 20s or is it played in the low 40s? Obviously, I think one side benefits USC, even though that side is the side that Utah ended up winning on. Utah, if they're forced to keep up now, I have no doubt that Cam Rising can throw the ball, probably not shot for shot with Caleb Williams, but he can do plenty well enough in his own right. Uh, They obviously have a dynamite tight end. I mean, Kincaid is the focal point of their offense now. It's kind of like a Brock Bowers situation, only in the Pac-12. But if Southern Cal does force you to keep up by throwing the ball, here's what we know. It puts you in danger of playing right into what has been one of their biggest weapons, and that has been turnover margin. They are plus, they're in the 20s. They're in the plus 20s now. USC number one in FBS and turnover margin. Also, don't forget one other little stat that, that I thought loomed very large in this game when they played the first time. Utah was three for three on fourth down. Does that translate? A lot of stuff about translation in this game. So, I think Utah can make it a game. The line on the game is three. They can make it a game. I think they can and and possibly will get it to the fourth quarter. There is something so simple about this that led me to a pretty easy prediction. If you do all of those things, if you get it to the fourth quarter, you've still got to beat Caleb Williams. And I just don't think anyone's ready to do it. In this game, I don't think anyone's ready to do it, which kind of spoils my pick. But Utah-USC... The Vegas line is three. How about this? Colin, when we show him the model, you want to see me and the model go at it. This is like a Texas Longhorn special here. The model has Utah minus one. The model thinks the wrong team's favored. Here's what I think. I don't think the model has fully baked in the downhill momentum that Southern Cal has. I don't think the model has fully baked in how much better they're playing along the lines of scrimmage. I don't think the model has baked in what Southern Cal is now. And as a result, I think it's wrong. So I'm going to take not only USC to win, I think they're going to cover. I think they're going to the playoff. I think they're going to win the Pac-12 championship. And I think once that happens, there is not to be a Lincoln-Riley detractor anywhere. If you don't like him as a dude, that's fine. What a coaching job that's being done out there. And I know a lot of you don't respect the Pac-12. I'm telling you, this has not been the easiest conference to win this year. This game will not be the easiest game to win this year. Of course, there is another world where Kyle Whittingham just does it again. And if you don't think that Kyle Whittingham is already public enemy number one in the minds of many out there, because it's just a pesky team to have to play, imagine if he rips a college football playoff appearance out of the grasp of George Klykoff in the conference. They haven't been since 2016. They've only been twice. The peristyle will love that. You know, you know. They've only been twice as a conference. The first year we had this thing, Oregon went, and then Washington went a couple of years later, and that has been it. And Southern Cal is their hope. And so, Kyle, how comforting might that be, by the way? You're going into your own conference's championship game. Everybody in the administrative state of your conference knows they've got a big payday contingent upon USC winning the game. You're using officials from that conference in the game. And it's the most high-profile brand in the conference versus you. I'm just saying. 
I'm not saying, I'm just saying. So lastly, in this uh, episode tonight, episode 334, Hoops to the Thunk It, the transfer portal's on fire. It's on fire, and the blaze is only getting higher. We've got big moves already. I don't even know if it's even officially open. I, I just know that we got big moves being made, and so I'm going to try my best on this show to remind you, we told you this was coming, and it hasn't even crescendoed yet. Trust me, we got some big names already, but it, it's going to get a lot worse or better, depending on how sadistic you are and how much you love this. Big moves so far. I got some quarterbacks that I want you to keep an eye on. Jeff Sims is in the portal now. Jeff Sims was the quarterback at Georgia Tech. It looks like Brent Key, I believe, has gotten that job. But Jeff Sims is in the portal. Now, it should be noted, just because you go in the portal doesn't mean you have to go anywhere. You could just come right back out of it. So I don't know how that's going to work itself out. I know that there's a lot of chatter in the football industry, football world, that Jeff Sims is a guy who could go somewhere and just explode. A lot of people think he's got a skill set that if it's married with the right offense, he could explode. Cade McNamara is announcing his intention to enter the portal. That was the 1A, 1B starter at quarterback with J.J. McCarthy at Michigan early this year. He started for him last year. He's got starting experience. He, I mean, he's, he's been on a Big Ten championship team. He's been on a college football playoff team. He's entering the portal. The guy's got 3,100 yards to his name, 21 touchdowns, seven picks during his three seasons. He is going to be a very valuable pickup for someone. Hudson Card is leaving Texas, or at least it looks like he's leaving Texas. That's the guy who uh, started parts of last year and then got beat out by Quinn Ewers, and then Ewers goes down, so he plays again sparingly this year. Hudson Card's got himself some starting experience. Hudson Card's going to go somewhere and be a big-time pickup for someone. And not to be overlooked at Ole Miss today. I don't think some of you are aware of this. Luke Altmyer hopped in the portal. I don't think this happened today, maybe yesterday. Uh, he got beat out by Jackson Dart in the spring. Remember, as recently as the spring in Oxford, the thought amongst insiders was, Jackson Dart has not taken this job. Luke Altmyer is going to have this job. Not a bad quarterback. And certainly, when you think about what you're looking at in the portal, you're looking for fit. Okay, this is not high school. You're not looking, oh, he's three-star, oh, he's four-star, oh, he's... We've already seen him play in college football. So you know the strengths, you know the weaknesses, you know your program and how you can develop and your personnel. So it's a little bit different when you go fishing in the portal. Dante Thornton has entered the portal. That's one of the receivers at Oregon. Uh, this, is, this is a big-time player. Uh, this is going to be one that you watch, kind of like the Mario Williams sweepstakes when he went in, Jordan Addison went in. I'm not saying this is quite a Bolitnikoff-level player. I'm saying this is the kind of guy who could go to someone's offense and explode. I thought he was a really good player, really physical player, too, for Oregon this year. Honestly, kind of surprised me that he went in the portal. Trey Sanders. Remember that name? Trey Sanders was the number one running back in the country several years ago, and he goes to Bama, and he got in a car wreck and was injured pretty bad. And he came back, and he's... He's played some, but they are loaded. I mean, their, their running back room is just so loaded that he has not ever become a feature back there again. A lot of folks in Tuscaloosa are pulling for him. Uh, this is a guy, I will guarantee you, as soon as he told Nick Saban what his intentions were, Nick Saban patted him on the shoulder and said, I'm going to do everything I can to help you. Tell me who you want me to call. You got my full endorsement. Well, Saban knows two things. He's a very good player, uh, been a model citizen there. 
and he's probably not quite at the skill level post-injury to be able to start there given their talent roster. Most people don't have Bama's talent roster. So, you know, Jerome Ford, for example, is a running back that once transferred from Bama, he started against him in the playoff last year. He went to Cincinnati, he started at running back and had a phenomenal season. So I, I hope for Trey Sanders because I pull for him, I like him. So I hope that he's able to go do that. There is a lot of future movement coming. Okay, the first window to enter the portal officially is December 5th. So you may be asking, well, what do you mean? You just told me a bunch of guys are in it. No, they've announced their intention to jump in it. It doesn't really happen for, what, another six or seven days, but it's coming. Remember, some guys are going to jump in the portal because they want to go elsewhere. There are also going to be portal dippers. And this is something that I've had spoken to me about from coaches for a little while now. A lot of coaches expect a big, chunk of their roster to go in the portal, not even really intending to leave. They just want to field offers, NIL offers. And free agency is also what you could call that every year. And they want to also take a look back at their own program and say, okay, let's go to the bargaining table. We last bargained when I was a senior in high school. Now I'm about to be a sophomore in college. Let's bargain. And then you're going to do it again when I'm a junior. And then you're going to do it again when I'm a senior. And it's, I work on two-year contracts around here. College kids, even, even better positioned than me, just one-year contracts. So if you want to call it a contract, I think there are going to be a lot of guys that freak you out. There are, there are going to be big names. I'm just warning you ahead of time. There are big names on your team that are going to jump in the portal, and you're going to lose your mind, and you're going to call them selfish, and you're going to call them all kinds of names on Twitter and message boards that you're going to have to delete because three weeks later, they're going to come right back home with a few more dollars in their pocket and an extra bedroom added on to mom's house down in Sarasota, and you're going to say, I didn't mean any of that. Hey, you know how we are. We just get carried away. We're still bros, right? And they don't know who you are, so don't bother asking them that. It's going to be a wild time. If you're a head coach right now, think about this. Some of them have conference championship games coming up. Then they're going to be in the playoff. Oh, and by the way, they're trying to lock down a recruiting class while they also recruit their own roster and fish in the transfer portal. I don't, you could have a million folks on your staff and your staff is not big enough. Uh, like I said, I think this is going to last two years, two, maybe three years, and then conferences are going to get in the NIL business and you are going to know securely through revenue sharing, through media rights deals, that you're getting a certain percentage guaranteed to you just because you're in the SEC, just because you're in the Big Ten, just because you're in the Pac-12 or Big 12, ACC too. And you're not going to have the revolving door quite to the degree you have now. Kids will still transfer. I don't think it will be a flood of them every year. That's in the future, though. And um, I, do, I do as good a job as I can of just talking about what I see now. So far be it for me to predict the future. I'm not adding anything on the Ramen Noodle Express tonight. It's a short week, obviously. It's a short list of games this week. So here's what we're on. We're on Akron plus 13 and a half. Ohio plus three is already down to plus one and a half in the MAC championship game. So I hope you got on that. So those are the two games we're on. I want to remind you also before I leave, it feels like we've pretty much, you and I, it feels like we've pretty much settled on the concept of doing a collaboration with someone as a reward for hitting 150,000 subs. What I have not nailed down is who you want it to be. So use any method you want to, tag me on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. It would be better if you made it public. Who do you want 
us to do a collaborative edition of this show with. Or it could be an edition. It could be a bonus episode of the show. Who do you want? It could be coaches. could be media members. It could be a prison inmate for all I care. You're paying for the call, though. But who do we want to collaborate with? I leave that open-ended. My balls are in your court. And with that, for producer Jesse, for producer, well, who do we have tonight? We got producer Belchie, we got producer Bradley, we got director Colin. I am merely Josh Pay. Thanks so much for watching. We'll be live from Atlanta Thursday. Until then, take care, like and subscribe, and God bless.